In 2016, I started driving two-lane roads through small towns all over the United States, looking for vintage movie theaters. Movie theaters with just one or two screens, usually built somewhere between 1920 and 1960, and usually in dusty downtowns or rundown suburbs. Eight years later, I've documented over 200 such movie theaters, some thriving, some abandoned, most just hanging in there. I stop, I take a few pictures, and if I'm lucky, I hear a story from someone about what that theater means to them, what that theater means to their town. Join me as I visit eight vintage American movie theaters and share their stories. Stories about everything from childhood matinees and bad dates to cult movies and concession stands. Common Ground. Stories from America's Vintage Movie Theaters. Mike Hurley remembers the day they put Hawthorne the Elephant on top of the Colonial Theater. Hawthorne's not a real elephant. He's fiberglass. And not quite as big, maybe nine feet tall. Mike bought Hawthorne at an auction at Perry's Nuthouse, a much-loved roadside attraction just up Route 1 along the Atlantic coast from Belfast, Maine. That's where Mike and his partner, Therese Bagnardi, ran the Colonial. Mike wanted to keep Hawthorne in Belfast, and it was good publicity for the theater. But there was a problem. A building code inspector. Mike ran a few businesses in town, and he and the inspector had butted heads more than once. I was not his big fan, and he was not my big fan. And uh, Mike was uh, sure the inspector so would demand a permit to put Hawthorne on the roof, a permit he'd never grant. So Mike waited. He found out the inspector was going out of town on a fishing trip. And that's when he made his move. I said, okay, we're just going to put it up there. So he came out of City Hall, which is directly across the street, gets in his vehicle, and he drives and he turns the corner and heads out of town. And as he did, the crane came up the street and turned the corner. I mean, like, literally, they were, like, both passing. I'm sure he must go, crane, what's the crane doing? And at the same time, I came around the corner, and I had the elephant on top of my truck, and all the press came down from Bangor, and, you know, this whole... Hawthorne's been on top of the Colonial ever since. And, you know... And that building inspector, who had a clear view of Hawthorne on top of the Colonial every day from his desk at City Hall... We never heard from him. <laughs> so, but he, but he had to look at it every day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mike and I are in the lobby of the Colonial. He's eager to show me another cool thing about this theater. Maybe cooler, even, than Hawthorne on the roof. It's a tunnel. Okay, this is a little hard to describe, so bear with me. When the Colonial was built in 1924, it was, like most movie theaters at the time, a big rectangular box with a screen and a narrow stage at one end and a lobby at the other and rows of seats on a slope 
in between. It held about 600 people. Fast forward to the early 1970s. There's an oil crisis. Heating a movie theater has become very expensive, and thanks to television, attendance has been dropping. So the Colonials owners at the time wall off the last third of the theater, the third with the stage and the original screen, and they install a new screen on the new wall, shortening the theater by a third. It now seats about 400. The walled-off rear third with the stage and the old screen, which remain intact, that space is used for storage. Ten years later, it's the 80s. Everyone has a VCR now, along with their television, and attendance is down even more. In these circumstances, having two screens is much better than having just one. It allows you to diversify your audience, superhero movies on one screen, rom-coms on the other, and make better use of your space. So, the Colonial is split down the middle, twinned, making 250-seat theaters. That rear third, the walled-off part with the original screen and stage, nothing changes there. The screen and the stage are intact, and the space is used for storage. That was how the Colonial was set up when Mike and Therese took it over in 1995. They knew about the original stage and screen, and they were desperate to use it to convert that storage space into a third place to show movies. I kept going, I want more movie screens. I want another screen. But as with putting Hawthorne on the roof, there was a problem. The challenge was how do you get from upstairs to back there? Mike's answer was a tunnel, a tunnel running from the basement of the Colonial's lobby beneath one of the twinned theaters and into the previously inaccessible third of the theater with the Colonial's original stage and screen. I've been in a lot of old movie theaters, but this is the first where you go through a tunnel below the theater to get to the main screen. We're down there now. So, you know, we're under the theater. This is what it looked like. Mike and Therese found a team of architects and contractors who bought into the idea of tunneling into the new space. Once they restored the seats and added a new balcony, they figured the new space would seat 150 people. Even better, the stage gave them a way to present live acts, like comedy or small bands. The new theater opened in 1996. They called the space Dreamland. When I ask Mike how they dug the tunnel we're in, he turns around to face me. A guy hand dug this pick and shovel and, you know, this giant trench that went back there. And, uh, you know, the whole time, anytime you came down here, the guy would be, you know, just sitting on a rock or something, smoking a cigarette and drinking moxie, which was his drink of choice. You never saw him work, but the ditch just got this giant... You know, Building the tunnel to Dreamland made uh, you know, good business sense. Mike tells me that with three screens, their business more than doubled. But there's more to it than that. Sitting in Dreamland, looking out over the seats, Mike tells me what it is about the Colonial that has made it much more than a business for him and Therese. When you think of the first storytellers sitting around a fire 
They had been to a great battle. They told a story of people who were in love. They told a natural disaster. You know, gifted storytellers were like, oh my God, they've come to our town, sit down, tell us this story. And, uh, you know, books were the next evolution of that, obviously theater, but then movies, I think, are maybe the pinnacle of storytelling. People want to come into a theater and be told a story. We just graduated all these kids, and if 10 of them come back and live here, we'll be lucky. That's Eric Sanders, Belfast's mayor. From the second floor of City Hall, he and I have a clear view of the Colonial and Hawthorne. When Eric looks out the window, he sees a place for those kids he's trying to keep in Belfast. He remembers going to the movies as a boy in the small town of Odessa, Missouri, and he remembers picking up his own kids from the Colonial. And they get in the car and they smell all prepubescent. And, you know, there's popcorn grease and they've got six boxes of bad candy in their coats. All you say is, how was a movie? It's good. And that's it. They're not going to tell you anything else. And you don't really, as a parent, need to know anything else. You know where your kids are. And you know they're going to be okay, safe. In Eric's view, keeping people in Belfast, growing a healthy community, requires places like the Colonial, places where kids can learn to be together in public, in society, not online, not on their phones. Eric's hardly alone. The week before I visited Belfast, the U.S. Surgeon General issued an advisory on social media and youth mental health. It's first. The advisory doesn't claim that social media use among adolescents is the cause of the rising rates of depression and anxiety we see in our kids. It makes the weaker point that we don't know nearly enough to know that social media isn't at fault. And it doesn't offer movie theaters as a potential cure. But it does advise parents and caregivers to, and I quote, help your child develop social skills and nurture in-person relationships by encouraging unstructured and offline connections and making unplugged interactions a priority. That could be read as a prescription for going to the movies with your friends, say, once a week. Eric would be fine with that. After all, he says, that's what kids want anyway. The movie theater, as any 13 through 18-year-old will tell you, is the perfect place to go with your friends, not be with your parents, and sit in darkness for three hours. That's what kids want. They, they want to sit and watch movies together and eat popcorn, and it's a safe place. It's a safe house for kids, really. And Eric is worried about Belfast losing the colonial, and with some reason. In fact, at the time I'm visiting, the colonial has been closed for almost nine months. Eyeing retirement, Mike and Therese put the theater up for sale in 2015. Prospective buyers abounded, but the theater remained unsold. So, in the summer of 2022, the pair decided to let the theater go dark. They staged a blowout community film festival, 40 films in 10 days, many requested by staff and longtime customers, and all free. Then, on September 18th, 2022, they closed the doors. Mike and Therese have kept the building in perfect shape since then. 
heating it, maintaining all the equipment, and doing necessary repairs so that it's ready for the buyer they know will eventually show up. Losing the Colonial for good would devastate Eric Sanders. It's not just about having a place for the kids. It's about having a place for everyone. We're looking at the theater together as he talks. But the trust one has in going to a movie theater is that you are exposing yourself to everyone else as just another person looking for peace. From a city point of view, from a mayor point of view, it's common ground. A movie theater in your downtown, it's common ground. John Tibbetts is so much a part of the Colonial Theater that he marks major events in his life, not by the year, but by what movie was playing there at the time. My name is John Tibbetts, and uh, I uh, was hired here, I think it was 1987. I mean, I couldn't be positive, but the movie um, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover... uh, Lethal Weapons. Lethal Weapons. That was playing here when I started, and um, that's how I kind of know about the time frame. For the record, it was 1987 when John started working as the Colonial's maintenance guy. He's been doing it ever since. But his time in the Colonial goes back way before then. I've been here all my life. I've been here ever since, well, my dad probably brought me here. uh, So it's been uh, part of my life forever. And I remember, uh, I think, uh, one of the first movies that I ever went to as a kid uh, was at Thunder Road there with, uh, with Robert Mitchum there, you know, the old Moonshiner movie. Thunder Road was 1958, but John probably didn't see it then. He was barely a year old. More likely, it was a decade later, when John spent nearly every weekend at the Colonial. I did grow up at the theater. I really, literally did grow up here, because it wasn't... Too many alternatives back in those days. This was it, though, you know? Yeah, this was it, though. The local theater here, that was where everybody went. That meant, of course, that you had to get there early. As kids, we always went to the front if we could. But there were some times when, if if there was a a line that formed around the corner over here, (laughs) you got in where you could. And sometimes it was even standing room only. Those lines around the block on the weekends lasted into the 2000s. By that time, John was working at the Colonial, cleaning up after kids who were coming to movies just like he had decades before. Sometimes the crowds were so big, cleanup called for more than a broom. We had this uh, leaf blower there. We always used to blow all the stuff, you know, with that. Like what we would do first is go around and pick up all the big stuff, you know, the popcorn uh, bags or boxes, and all, and all the candy boxes, some of the bigger things. So, so if you had some popcorn and some uh, wrappers or stuff left, that's when we used the leaf blower to blow everything else all all down to the front. And then we would uh, kind of hide it under the screen until the morning. Then I would sweep it up then. That, that's how we used to do that. As John tours me through the Colonial, everything we pass sparks a story. He really does know every inch of this building. In the lobby, John shows me a small metal speaker mounted on the wall. It's salvaged from the drive-in theater just outside of Belfast that went out of business back in the 1980s. He points out that the two screens at the front of the Colonial, the ones created when it was twinned, are named for two Belfast movie theaters 
both long demolished, the city and the star. Outside, the colonial is painted in what I've come to think of as circus colors, seaside greens and oranges and purples that shout, vacation. It's the vision and the work of Mike's partner, Therese Bagnardi. Therese was a commercial painter and designer before she and Mike ran the colonial. John calls my attention to how the colors outside show up in the lobby carpet. And he tells me about the time they spend spot cleaning. That is, on hands and knees, with a brush, scrubbing out the spots left by spilled soda and candy. Downstairs, on our way to Dreamland, we pass a payphone mounted on the wall. The phone looks like it might work, but it doesn't. Instead, there's a sign that tells you not to put any change in the slot and then explains that before cell phones, this was how you let someone know you needed a ride or that you were going to be late. And then there's baby Hawthorne. That's right. There's a second elephant in the colonial. This one, about four feet tall, solid wood, and standing in the colonial's lower lobby by the payphone. Mike bought baby Hawthorne when he bought Hawthorne. And though there wasn't any problem with permits, getting baby Hawthorne into the colonial was no small feat. Let's just say there were weightlifters involved. The colonial is packed with cool stuff. What's missing, of course, is people. John thinks especially of the ones he's worked with. One of the things I really miss here is is the uh, co-workers, though, that... uh, we were always kind of a family, you know, you know, for, and we always had a bunch of kids, though, that, local kids there that uh, came, kind of came in, school kids, though, that helped me clean up between shows, you know, and, and things like that, you know, and, you know, it was always kind of like you stop and think about it, and, and it just kind of, you know, you kind of remember all these people that worked here over the years, you know, and, and anybody that ever worked here, can always look back and say, you know what, I was part of this uh, experience, you know. Like most people in town, John is pretty sure someone, likely a nonprofit, will buy the colonial. Eventually. He's less sure about his own future with the theater. Because I don't know if, um, when, when we reopen, I'm not sure if uh, I'll, I'll still be around in my same role or not. I mean, I probably will, well, I know the idea was for me to kind of retire, but but Mike had mentioned something about kind of being kind of a facilitator, because anybody that's going to take it over is going to need somebody that's been here and knows where all the, so probably I'll probably be uh, around in some kind of consulting uh, position or something like that. As I was preparing this episode, news broke that the Colonial had a buyer and that the theater would be reopening in the fall over a year after it went dark. I was so very happy to hear this. When I visited Belfast in the summer, it seemed that the theater might stay dark through the year. Instead, there's a reopening celebration scheduled for Saturday, November 18th from 2 to 4 p.m. If you're in the neighborhood, why not drop in? By the way, the new owner is a not-for-profit called the Hawthorne Theater and Arts Collaborative. Their new facilities manager is John Tibbetts. 
Common Ground, Stories from America's Vintage Movie Theaters, is produced by me, Gary Hardcastle, in New York City. Thanks to everyone in Belfast, Maine, who talked to me about The Colonial. And thanks especially to Sean Kummelman, Dennis Howard, Peter Clifford, and Kyle Walton, all of whom gave so generously of their time, but didn't end up in the episode. But check out the trailer, guys. Special thanks to Kyle for all your help. Thanks to Megan Pinette at the Belfast Historical Society and Museum, and to Anne Continelli, who encouraged me early on in this podcast and whose own film documentary about the colonial, The Big Picture, is coming soon. I cannot wait to see it, and I hope you'll seek it out as well. The Common Ground theme was written and performed by Billy Kelly. You can hear more of his work at billykellymusic.com. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Next time on Common Ground, we go back to my hometown of Youngstown, Ohio, and to The Foster, the suburban theater my mother went to as a teenager in the 1940s. Trust me, it's a real trip. That's on the next episode of Common Ground, stories from America's vintage movie theaters.